Remembering the 2012 London Olympics. I just remember watching the opening ceremonies kick off and just feeling like now this is really real. And, uh, and just thinking what a privilege it was to, you know, have coincided the kind of peak of my career with the home games. Not many athletes get to experience that, get to kind of make that timing work. Um, and it was something very, very special indeed. That's Lizzie Simmons, a swimmer for Team GB, recalling her experiences on this 10-year anniversary of the 2012 London Olympics. I'm Ed Hula, your host for this edition of the Around the Rings podcast. Our guests on this podcast were closely involved with the 2012 Olympics, and they have heaps of memories to share with us. Lizzie Simmons, a European backstroke champion, was 21 when she competed in London, her second Olympics after Beijing. Now she leads the Athletes Commission for the British Olympic Association. Lizzie joins us from Banska Bistrica in Slovakia, where she is chef de mission for the team of teenaged athletes from Great Britain who are competing at the latest edition of the European Youth Olympic Festival. Craig Reedy is a retired member of the IOC who was involved with the London Games from the days of the bid some 20 years ago. He was elected IOC Vice President on the eve of the London Olympics and he followed that by becoming President of the World Anti-Doping Agency for a six-year term. He has just published a memoir about his work on behalf of the Olympics and sport called Delivering London's Olympic Dream, a long life in sport. It's available now through Amazon and other online sources. He speaks with us from his home in Scotland. And Michael Preary is one of the world's experts on Olympic communications. The native Australian was part of the team working on the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. From there, he moved on to London to support the bid for the 2012 Olympics. Michael Peary was an advisor to the senior executive staff of London 2012 once the city was selected. Michael Peary is connected with us from Melbourne, Australia. And uh, I'm hosting this podcast via Zoom from Mount Dora, Florida. Welcome to all of you. Let's start out with some memories. Lizzie Simmons, July 27th, opening ceremony. You are watching on TV in the Olympic Village. My kind of recollection of London starts a little bit earlier because we had the Olympic trials back in kind of March, April time of, uh, of 2012. And I, I remember just feeling like so, so, so desperate to make those games. And I remember, remember saying to my parents that if I didn't qualify, I was going to have to leave the country across the summer because I couldn't picture being around whilst the games was going on and uh, and not being on the field of play, not actually competing. But uh, luckily I did qualify and then went through the, the preparation periods with, with the rest of the team. Um, I think we went up to Edinburgh for our kind of little holding camp beforehand. So we stayed fairly local um, to the to the UK. Um, and then we we came in and swimming always starts the first day. So we actually watched the opening ceremony on TV, like lots of other people from the um, athlete village. That's always the case for swimming. So we're uh, we're all good with that plan. But I just remember watching the opening ceremonies kick off and just feeling like now this is really real. 
And, uh, and just thinking what a privilege it was to, you know, have coincided the kind of peak of my career with the home games. Not many athletes get to experience that, get to kind of make that timing work. Um, and it was something very, very special indeed. And then obviously kind of unfolded over over the following couple of weeks. But um, yeah, some real excitement, definitely some nerves as well from a few people on the team. But uh, at this point, uh, 10 years ago, real excitement about what was about to unfold. Craig Reedy, uh, you were with the IOC at that time, uh, uh, overseeing uh, aspects of uh, London's preparations uh, in the years years prior to the games. What what, what was going on in in your world, uh, the IOC world, uh, the day before, the day of the uh, opening ceremony of uh, London 2012? Well, the IOC had all arrived safely for their uh, uh, annual session, which was held uh, two, three days before the opening ceremony. Um, clearly, uh, as one of the local members in Great Britain, it was important to me and to us that the, the session ran well, uh, and, and it did. Um, I suppose the highlight of that particular period for me was my election as a vice president of the IOC, uh, because the build-up to London uh, was a long one. Uh, going way back to 2005, that was our fourth bid in the previous 20 years. Um, the build-up had been long and, I have to say, relatively successful, um, so there was a bit of tension. Um, uh, tension in the uh, country, for sure. Uh, one of the reasons for that was that we had been very successful um, in selling tickets. Many, many people uh, had bought tickets, so the anticipation for the games uh, w was high. The weather was good. Uh, we'd come through the uh, re rehearsal for the opening ceremony, um, and uh, to that extent, we were all ready to go. Michael Peary was a member of the uh, the communications team for 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 London 2012. Uh, Michael, you'd come to Great Britain from from Australia, where you'd been a part of the communications team for for Sydney Sydney 2000. Uh, you were very closely involved with the, the bid from London and 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 the preparations in, in, in the years leading up to this date 10 years ago. Uh, how did you feel on the uh, eve of the games? What was uh, any, any big issues that uh, the comms team was trying to settle or solve for London 2012? I, I, as you mentioned, it was part of the, the bid team as, as well as the um, organising committee um, although I don't go as far back as I think 1994 when Sir Craig um, originally did all the preparations and, and groundwork that led to the bid in the first place. But like after a decade of uh, working on the bid and then the seven years of planning for the games, it was it was like we were about to push the start button, you know, on, on, on the, the planet's biggest peacetime event. Um, and, you know, after all that painstaking planning, you know, the ultimate test had finally arrived um, for the London organisers. Uh, as Craig said, there was tension and there were unspoken fears and doubts about whether London's planning um, would hold uh, and whether it would be able to shoulder, you know, the, the crushing weight of expectation on London um, uh, and that opening ceremony. Uh, 
you know, Danny, Danny Boyle's ceremony was, was spectacular, uh, basically, um, and, and the sport at that stage hadn't even started. But I, I certainly had a good feeling as I was leaving the ceremony, um, uh, going down the stadium steps and people all around me and hearing um, on a number of occasions um, from the um, members of the public, as you say, Ed, who, who were keen to get tickets, saying that they'd never felt, uh, they were saying things like they'd never felt more proud to be British. So when I started hearing that, uh, I knew that, uh, you know, Danny's ceremony had hit, hit the button and it, it was uni- already the games were uniting um, the host city and the host country. I also was very similar to the feelings I had with, with the Sydney Olympics. There, there was a very similar feeling uh, that opening ceremony night as well. There, there was a great deal of uh, worry, as, as there often is now, with uh, security at the uh, Olympic Games. Um, and, and I was wondering, Craig Reedy, how much, how much real concern was there uh, as the Games opened uh, that uh, security would, uh, would hold, that security would not be a, a challenge in London? Well, it had always been one of the priorities for the organizing committee, uh, pointed out to us regularly by Jacques Rogger, president of the IOC. Um, we were aware that we operated in a troubled world. Um, uh, it wasn't the kind of subject that you made much publicity about, uh, but you had to reassure uh, anybody who asked um, that the proper steps had been taken. Uh, what became particularly public for us was that the security of the uh, stadium, the security of all the various events, uh, was challenged, I suppose, a few weeks before the game started, uh, when one of our uh, security personnel providers um, slipped up and uh, we were roughly 4,000 people short. Um, that became a bit of a sensation, but it got solved. It got solved very quickly over about four or five days of extremely hard work. Uh, and we brought in um, some of the military detachments that were available, and they, be- they became very popular because they were quite clearly seen uh, as army personnel to be security experts, and they played a major part. Um, and the games ran uh, as smoothly as any games could in what is and still is a troubled international situation. So we, we were happy uh, from that point of view, perhaps more than anything else. And uh, I mean, I'm aware certainly that when Seb Cole was asked at the end of the Games, what was his biggest moment of relief? And he said, when everybody got home safely. Yeah, and, and that was a good question you may ask Ed about security because it, it was, it did shadow the Games um, because of the London bombings that, that happened within hours of winning the bid in, in Singapore. Um, and I know the, the real fear was a, a so-called lone wolf uh, a terrorist cell, possibly um, as well there. And we had the, the park was set up with surface to air missiles. So as Sir Craig said, there was nothing was left um, 
nothing was left to chance as much as you, you can leave anything like this to, to chance, but it was all precautions were taken and um, that certainly those, those bombings on the, the 7th of July uh, back in 2005 were a constant reminder in the background of the, uh, the threat of, of uh, terrorist um, activity and, and it, it continues to be so in, in, this, uh, you know, in these current times. Lizzie Simmons, did you detect anything that was undone, that wasn't ready when you were uh, uh, at the stage, the day of the opening ceremony? Did you no, definitely. No, I think um, from, you know, from our perspective, everything was incredibly well run and organised and, and we always felt very, very safe as the athletes. Um, just just reflecting on um, Sir Craig and, and Michael's comments there about the, um, the, the previous 10, 10 years with the bid, um, I was actually out at the Youth Olympic Festival in uh, Lignano in Italy, so competing for Team GB when those London bombings happened. So a real um, shift in, in, obviously, kind of mood in the camp, the, the celebration of, of winning the bid, and then um, obviously something catastrophic happening back at home. So um, it was it was very kind of close close to home um, in terms of us competing at, at that point. So remember that point really, really well. But in terms of the games themselves, no, we, we felt very, very safe. We, um, we were we're always, you know, very aware of security. It's always the case in these kind of Olympic environments. Um, and it, it was very strict in London, which gives you a lot of reassurance as an athlete and, and as a team. There were lots of checks. There were lots of lots of guidance for us in terms of, um, you know, not not going out and in, in all of your team GB kit and, and causing um kind of calling too much attention on, on yourself and just um, being a little bit anonymous in crowds and things like that. But no, we we felt like it was a very kind of celebratory environment. And and I guess, you know, that's that's credit to the teams behind the scenes in terms of protecting the athletes from any of those concerns, because ultimately we just want to get there and compete and have a great celebration of sport. Um, but I know, you know, having worked with with the BOA since and having worked with Team GB on, on kind of operations planning, there is an awful lot that that goes into the behind the scenes to ensure that athletes can show up um, and, you know, focus fully on their sport. If you were in the... Uh, um... Uh, youth Olympic European Youth Olympic Festival five years before or seven years before the uh, the uh, the games. You had your eye obviously on on competing in in the Olympics in London. Yes, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I had a great competition at the Youth Olympic Festival. It was a very successful competition for me. It's my first taste of Team GB in a kind of multi sports environment. Um, you, you were and- about fourteen. Were we- 13. I was 14 yes yeah 14 correct so um so yeah I definitely when London won that bid I definitely set my sights on those games I actually did then qualify for Beijing as well so I did go to a games um three years after those youth olympic festivals in in 2008 so um that was my I was still kind of the baby of the team only 17 at that point um and and a very very different games to London but um but lucky to to as I said kind of have that home games in my sights and, and be working towards that. So a very, um, yeah, special, special occasion for any British athlete to have that to gear towards. You know, Craig, Craig Reedy, we're always worried about how the venues are going to work, how everything is going to fall into place once the games uh, get underway. Uh, did, did you encounter anything behind the scenes that, uh, 
caused you any worry or was the planning so good that uh, you could be uh, worry-free? Well, as you look back, I think it's almost a sort of natural feeling <clears throat> that you, 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 you don't remember as clearly things that went wrong. Um, I, I think you've used the right word in planning. Uh, we, we spent a long time planning the concept, um, and the concept was based on uh, developing an Olympic park uh, and actually solving a, a, a terrible scene of industrial devastation uh, in East London. So we changed by taking the games to London and winning the bid. We changed the whole face of the city in a way that nothing else could, could ever have done. Certainly that was acknowledged by Ken Livingston, the first elected mayor of London at, at the time. But before we started building, we planned and we planned and we planned. And in fact, it worked extremely well. Um, the, the actual construction was done by a mix of uh, construction companies. It wasn't just one company doing it. We managed that process well. Um, uh, and, and I think perhaps more than anything else, we enjoyed complete political unity. Uh, both our two major political parties were 100% behind the bid and behind the organization of the games. So it all fell into place uh, about as well as, as well as it could. There is, as always in an, an, an old city like London, um, uh, constant problems on transport. Um, and the various IOC uh, reports during the bid and during the coordination commission phase concentrated very much on how we moved people around London, not just the athletes like Lizzie to the sport. In fact, the Olympic Park was designed to put the village in the middle of the major sports, the major sports like swimming, like track and field athletics, uh, basketball, hockey, were all in and around the Olympic Park and that eases the transfer issues. So to that extent, I, uh, we were pretty certain uh, that, it, that it would all work. Uh, uh, and delighted, absolutely delighted, when it did. Uh, Lizzie, what was the uh, impression that athletes had of, uh, of the facilities where they were competing? You had a brand new aquatic center that was where well, you'd already competed in for the Olympic trials. But uh, what? How did you find the uh, the facilities in, in London? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. We we found them. Absolutely stunning, I think, was, was probably the overview that we'd give. I mean, as I, as I mentioned, I'd gone to Beijing um, four years prior to, to 2012. And I remember everything being, you know, pretty much perfect out there. Everything ran on schedule. Everything worked great. The Olympic Village was great. The dining hall was great. The, the venues were really, really good. And I, I remember at that point, as kind of fast forwarding a little bit in our minds to London and saying, you know, we really hope that we can put on a show that has been as good as these games and things work as well. And the venues are as magnificent and it feels like such a an occasion and such a celebration. So um, we were delighted to, well, we as you say, we raced at the, um, the Aquatic Centre for the Olympic trials. So we knew that that was going to be a great venue. And I remember the the crowds were, were packed there because people just wanted to get to an Olympic venue. And then for the event itself, the, the, you know, the crowds were insane. Swimming is, um, you know, can can have quite modest crowds at some competitions. And the, the stadium was like nothing that I had experienced before. You walked out of the 
um, the call room area where the athletes were prepping into the main stadium to walk out to race. And you were just hit by this this wall of noise and, and energy and you couldn't help but be you know lifted up by that and um and elevated and I think we you know we saw that across so many different venues at, at those games when the uh, swimming finished I was lucky enough to go to some of the other sports and it felt like that everywhere everybody who was sitting in those stands was just delighted to be there whether they were a fan of the sport itself or whether they just managed to, to get tickets um, and, and again, you know, I, I don't have any kind of criticisms on any of the processes around the village or the transport or anything like that. From our perspective, things work really, really smoothly. So um, we, we definitely felt like we'd we'd match Beijing and we would maybe taken it one step higher as well. So, um, yeah, very, very um, happy and, and great to see the Aquatic Centre still kind of um, standing as a, a bit of a legacy pool. And it, it's always very special to go back there. How about your own report? So I'll just pick up on something uh, Lizzie said about the reference to Beijing. I remember when we had the handover um, in in Beijing to London, and when we got back to London, um, some discussions in Seb's office uh, where we were starting to think a bit more about the London uh, experience and what we wanted it to be, and. I remember we had a discussion um, a couple of times about wanting to incorporate or bring together the best elements of some of the previous games, um, things like the party atmosphere of uh, Sydney, the forensic planning of, of Beijing, the spirit of Barcelona, and then combine all this uh, together with the magic of London um, and the British and Olympic sporting heritage. Um, and, and that's sort of, how we sort of talk, thought about what we wanted London, the London experience to be. Lizzie, um, there was, did you find quite a contrast between Beijing and London as far as atmosphere and uh, your, your, your comfort and, and the field of play, your, your ability to, to perform at, the, at, your, at your best? Yeah, it, they were they were very very um, different games. I think you know the, the the biggest the biggest kind of difference was was just the fact that the home crowd was there. So you know we were out in Beijing and I was I was only seventeen, so I didn't really know what to kind of expect from that environment. I've been to the the Youth Olympic Festival, which had kind of set me up um, in some respects, but but didn't really know what to expect from a, a senior games. And I remember the crowds being great and things like that, but there weren't a huge number of kind of British families that had had travelled across to support. So there wasn't kind of huge amounts of clapping and things when when your name was read over the loudspeaker. My my parents hadn't gone; they'd uh, I think they'd already booked their summer holiday to Portugal. So uh, <laughs> uh -huh. um, they they were like, "You'll probably go to the next one." Um, so I remember it being it, it felt quite exotic. It felt quite kind of exciting, but far away from home, and that just shifted. It was a whole different dimension in London. So we were very, very aware walking out into that stadium that the vast, vast, vast majority of the of the crowds were cheering for me, were shouting my name, were, you know, clapping, were whooping and, and screaming in the crowd. So you kind of felt like a bit of a, a rock star walking out into that stadium, which adds, you know, a couple of different um, elements of, of um, excitement to it. There's 
that elevates you that gives you energy as you walk out it's also additional pressure and you know you know that all eyes are on you you know that the crowds are really behind you and they want you to succeed so I think it was an interesting dynamic for lots of British athletes to experience that and I can't think of another occasion where many British athletes would have had something like that and I'm sure it would be the same exactly the same for the Australian athletes in Sydney I'm sure it was the same for the Chinese athletes in in Beijing you can't really prepare for that moment where the crowd are all on your side you know apart from a couple of small stands maybe who have who have come to um uh, support the international athletes the, the vast majority are home crowds and are, are cheering for you so um yeah very very different experiences for me Beijing and London um I get asked all the time which is which is my favorite which is a very difficult question but uh but London was very special for for many reasons and that home crowd is something that I will never forget. Uh, Craig Reedy you've written a, a book in the past year or so it's just been published called Delivering London's Olympic Dream a long life in sport. Um, what kind of reflections do you have about the, the legacy that uh, remains from London in the in, in the structures and the facilities that were built for the games? Well, it's of course been something of a topical subject because the tenth anniversary allows people to look back. Um, my memory of doing that uh, is the effort that was made um, to change effectively the character of uh, the whole of the East End of, of, of London. Um, I mean, there was a long-standing uh, development plan called the Thames Gateway Development Plan. But reality is <coughs> that without the Olympic Games, we would never have been able to deliver it as quickly as we did. Um, I, I can remember a, a, a government committee meeting uh, featuring the chief executives of four of the six London boroughs. Uh, and they all said, yes, the games are great because this will happen faster. So this, the scale and the pace of development uh, was unique. And besides the Olympic Park, uh, Westfield, the Australian uh, supermarket company, built the biggest uh, um, supermarket chain and, and shopping centre in Europe all because the games happened. Transport into Stratford, a uh, developing part of East London, was hugely improved. All of that has happened. Uh, and every now and then, when I go down to the, the, the park again, now rather rarely, I have to say, I just look around at all these people in the uh, shopping centre, eating and drinking and enjoying themselves, you look at the stadia that you can go to, to the swimming centre, uh, to, to the main stadium, which is now West Ham United football stadium. You think, wow, what a, be what a benefit this is to, to that community. And I think it was about three years ago that statistics appeared that since the Games in 2012, in the six London boroughs at which we hosted it, there had been 135,000 new jobs. Well, the combination of the physical legacy 
and the combination of the jobs, uh, I think, uh, are outstanding. And there's been a very recent article, I think it was only in yesterday's paper, uh, from the Guardian newspaper saying that this was the kind of area and the kind of development that people dreamt about and that in many ways London got it right. So it's rather refreshing to read that kind of report. Yeah, and and as you say, um, Sir Craig, the, the fast-tracking of, of that whole area was, was done um, like... London accelerated the uh, the development there by about thirty years. As a catalyst, the games achieved in seven to ten years what otherwise might have taken up to thirty years um, in normal circumstances uh, to develop that an area like that. Quite phenomenal. Correct. We have just a few minutes left here. Looking looking beyond this anniversary. Um, what is the effect of the Olympics on sport in Great Britain? Uh, Lizzie, is it, uh, did, did the London Olympics uh, generate new enthusiasm or, or has it been so long that people have forgotten about those games and they look for other sources of inspiration? It's a, it's a really good question, Ed. Um, I, I think, I mean, I, I can probably mainly speak for, for my own sport, which was, which was swimming. I think what, what we're seeing now in swimming, Team GB at, at the last games in Tokyo were more successful than they've you know, ever been in recent history. It was an exceptional, exceptional games. And, and I think, you know, it's probably due to a few different reasons, but I think a lot of the athletes that are, are now on our team and now on Team GB, probably from all sports, are those that were sitting on their sofas at home watching London 2012 as, as kids, or they managed to get tickets with their parents and they came to see some sport. So in terms of the, you know, the really kind of close to home legacy, I think that's what we're seeing now in, in some sports that are doing really, really well. And I think lots of young people were very, very inspired by those Olympic Games, by the you know connection and unity that it brought to to the nation, um, and and I think we probably had a lot of young athletes, young, a lot of young um, keen sportsmen and women who said, you know what, one day I want to be part of that. I want to walk out with you know with my my country's um, you know uh, logo on my back and and compete at that level. So. I think that's maybe played a, a little bit of a part in, in what we're seeing now in swimming and I'm sure some other sports as, as well. A lot of time has has gone by since London 2012. I sometimes go into the sports and um, sports clubs and schools now and lots of the kids weren't born in London 2012. So time does move on. And um, but, but I think definitely in some sports we are we are seeing or still seeing the ramifications of, of that kind of inspiring time back in 2012. Just a couple of minutes left. Is, uh, does London or Great Britain need to have a, another Olympic Games sometime in the future? I mean, we're looking at 20 or 30 or more years from now. I, I'd i be very keen for that. So um, I think that would be, yeah, I think that would be incredible at some point. I don't know how how close we could go for something like that. But um, but one day I would I would love to see it return to the UK, yes. 
God bless the enthusiasm of young people. It's a nice thought. Um, the practicalities are, are very different now because the whole bidding structure has changed. Uh, and if uh, Britain were coming back into the bidding business, first of all, the BOA would need to be very clear uh, of the requirements that the IOC want under their Agenda 2020 plus five. Uh, and secondly, we would certainly need to try to replicate uh, the political unity that there would be between the host city and uh, national government. And I'm not sure that that would be easy to do just at the moment. Uh, however, the memories are strong. People still talk about it. Lizzie's absolutely correct. The top end of British sport has benefited hugely from the effect of London. Um, there is an accusation that grassroots sport didn't benefit as much as it should. I think we probably arrested the decline um, but perhaps more could have been done in that area. Uh, and that, I suspect, is a, not just a British problem. Um, it's a problem of the effect of major events on sport in any given country. Um, but the memories are strong. The memories are good. Um, and if at some future date we came back into the games, uh, the games would be different um, by definition. Um, and it is, uh, it is a nice thought, but I suspect it's quite a long way away. Um, I think, too, there is likely to be, certainly in our continent, um, a little bit of uh, competition. Uh, I don't think Britain and London would have its own way. I think there might be a number of other European cities um, who would very much like to host the Games, and in particular, the city of Madrid. We have to leave it there for now. Craig Greedy retired as an IOC member from Great Britain. Michael Peary, a member of the communications team for London 2012. And Lizzie Simmons, who competed for Team GB in swimming at London 2012. July 27th is the 10-year anniversary of the London Games. They came to a close August 12th. And thank you for joining us for this Around the Rings podcast. I'm Ed Hula.